You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shoja. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai. Now, do you share your life with a Doberman Pinscher? How about a Great Dane? Maybe a Yorkie shares your life or a Cocker Spaniel? They're all lovely breeds, each with a look that helps make them distinctive, even if they aren't necessarily born that way. Now, that brings me to my rant of the week. Over the centuries, humans have selectively bred distinct breeds of dogs to perform, behave, even look a certain way. But we don't stop there. We even crop ears to stand erect and dock tails to a prescribed length. Aren't dogs distinct and handsome enough without surgically altering their appearance? Does cutting off the tail or reshaping the ears offer any benefit outside of satisfying the human's desire for a particular look? In the United States, dog breed clubs define the standards, which may require or at least encourage these practices for the show ring. But I've even seen mixed breed dogs with dock tails and cropped ears. Meanwhile, other countries don't deem it unethical or even illegal to crop or dock ears or tails. So who's right? Is there a middle ground? My guest today has a lot to say on the subject. Dr. Laura I. Haug is a veterinary behaviorist practicing at South Texas Veterinary Behavior Services. She was on the faculty at Texas A&M with the Animal Behavior Service until 2007 when she returned to Houston to begin a behavior referral practice. So, folks, stop your whining. We'll give you something to really bark about after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pick up something unique at a Bone to Pick dog boutique. A Bone to Pick has cool hip fashions for big and small dogs that will have their tails wagging in style. Cat products too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Check out our eco-friendly pet products and gifts for humans too. A-B-O-N-E-T-O-P-I-C-K.com. Get your pet's mouth watering monthly with our Gourmet Treat of the Month Club. And join a Bone to Pick's free birthday club for your puppy. A B O N E dash to dash p-i-c-k dot com pick up something special for your best friend at a bone to pick a-b-o-n-e dash t-o dash p-i-c-k dot com get 10% off with coupon code petlife 
things, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, candid pictures of you and your pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. There's nothing like a shaggy dog, baby. They're shagatonic. And this is the place to find out how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Oh, yeah. So stop by our pad every week and get switched on, baby. Switched on to the show that's all about attitude. Oh, behave. With your groovy host, pet edutainer Arden Moore. Yeah, baby, yeah. Every week on demand on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And welcome to the show, Dr. Laura. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so pleased that you could join us. And and before we start, I always like to ask guests a little bit about themselves personally. What what animals share your life? What dogs, what cats do you have? Um, I actually have a Doberman Pinscher, and I have owned Doberman Pinschers for many, many years. Um, And I only have one right now, but I also happen to own um, an Arabian horse. Oh, boy. So from... Big to smaller. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, tell us, uh, Dr. Laura, are, are your Dobie's ears and tail cropped and docked? They are. Um, and part of that, of course, is with the breeders that I go through are um, tend to do these procedures as a litter before any of the puppies are sold. And so the puppies are all you know, cropped, uh, docked when, and their ears are cropped when they're young before they're even put into their new homes. Um, so they sort of come to me this way. Okay. Well, uh, from, from a personal preference, uh, I, I understand reading your bio that, that you have shown dogs. So you have shown previously Dobermans that were, uh, conformed to the, the breed standard then that were cropped and docked for this country, right? Yes. What is your personal uh, take on on the procedure? Is this uh, um, something that that really matters a great deal to you, one way or the other, or is 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 the surgically altering their appearance? Is that something that is damaging or doesn't affect them? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I will say that my. Uh, perspective on this issue has evolved considerably through the years. Um, I started showing Dobermans back in 
the early 80s, and there just wasn't an issue about it back then. There wasn't as much controversy over the procedure, um, and and I very much liked the look that the cropping procedure gave to the Doberman breed. I mean, their expression is part of their appeal and their regalness and elegance. Um, and, of course, it was the standard of a sense, which is if you showed a dog that didn't have cropped ears, the likelihood that that dog would be successful um, in a confirmation competition was actually pretty low. And we just, honestly, in the years that I was involved in showing, um, I never saw an uncropped dog in the breed ring, at least in this part of the country. They may be um, showing in other parts of the country, but you just really just didn't see any of them because it just wasn't competitive, I guess. Um, as a general practitioner, uh, when I graduated from vet school many years ago, I used to actually perform ear crops on clients' animals after quite a bit of discussion with them, though, about the pros and cons of the procedure. And I will say, as I have gotten older and moved on to different things and learned more about physiology and things like that, I think there's certainly evidence to that we need to take note of that indicates this isn't a completely innocuous procedure um, and it's not something that we can say to people, oh, well, you know, he's going to be fine, he's a puppy, they don't feel pain. Um, we know those things are not true and there are certainly circumstances where looking at how the procedure's done, the age that the procedures are done, um, the aftercare that happens and how the puppy's handled after the procedures are done, um, those all can affect the animal's behavior and physiology um, for quite a long time and potentially even permanently. And so I think that uh, I won't say that I completely condemn the procedure because there are... Um, some advantages in some ways, not not that I would necessarily suggest every dog that has floppy ears, you know, be cropped, but um, there are some benefits that some animals get um, in hindsight from a procedure like that. But I do think it's something that people need to be very, very well educated on the risks and, the, like I said, the potential benefits and the potential de- detriments that may happen and decide you know, if they really, really want to have that done to their animal. Okay, well, for instance, what are some of the the potential benefits of of, uh, cropping the ears, for example? Well, if we look, first of all, you know, most of these surgical alterations that are done to particular breeds were originally done for a functional purpose. It's not that somebody just bred a dog and said, you know what, I think he'd look better if his tail was short, and so we're going to whack all their tails off. Um, and if you look at breeds like Dobermans and a lot of the guarding-type breeds that were involved in altercations with people or some breeds that are in altercations with other dogs, um, a lot of times, um, you know, there was the perspective many years ago that dogs that had ears that stood upright could hear better than dogs that had floppy ears. And sometimes that's actually true, depending on the type of the ear. Um, the other issue is floppy ears, long tails provide handles that people can grab onto. And, of course, ears are very sensitive as well. 
And if anybody has ever purposely or accidentally grabbed a dog by the ear and hung on, um, and take note of the dog's reaction, which is, it is one way. In fact, I think sometimes parents do this to their own kids, and you kind of grab them by the ear, you know, and it sort of immobilizes right. them because it's quite uncomfortable. Um, so when we look at some of the breeds, like sporting breeds, um, and again, some of the guarding breeds where they go out into brush and they're wagging their tails around and they're either making a lot of noise which if you're dealing, say, with a Doberman that's acting as a sentry dog for the Marine Corps, as they did many years ago, um, having your dog wag and whack a bush or something and give away your position wasn't really very advantageous. Um, Not to mention, as I said, some of the hunting breeds, they go out and they wag a lot and they whack their tails on trees and brambles and bushes and the tail starts to bleed and... Anybody that's ever owned a dog that has had an injury to the tip of its tail, um, they're really difficult to get them to heal um, because the dog keeps wagging, and every time the dog's tail starts to heal, the dog wags and knocks the cut open and it bleeds everywhere. Um, So it it is a, a significant issue for some people in certain environments. So all of those procedures, as I said, originally had some functional purpose, Where a lot of the controversy, of course, comes today is that most of those breeds do not serve that purpose any longer. I mean, the vast majority of Dobermans are in pet homes, or if they're doing any type of protection work, it's usually some type of competitive protective work where, um, you know, it's set up like Schutzen. A man's going to be wearing a sleeve, and he's not going to be latching onto the dog's ear and trying to rip the dog's ear off. Um, so is it appropriate for us to continue to crop and dock dogs, ears and tails for a function that no longer exists? And that's really, I think, where a lot of the controversy comes in, um, nowadays, you know, particularly for a lot of people. So, um, some of the, as I said, quote, benefits is reducing injury in certain animals that are in doing certain job functions where their tail might be injured, or we do see certain breeds of floppy-eared dogs, especially dogs that have what we call full drop ears, like Cocker Spaniels. They have a lot of coat. Their ear flaps are very, very heavy, and it pretty much occludes the opening to their ear canal, and that's one of the reasons those breeds are so prone to ear infections is because there's just no air circulation there. So we see a significantly greater portion of ear infections in dogs that have floppy ears versus dogs whose ears stand up. Now, we all almost could argue that Cocker Spaniels would be a good candidate for ear cropping and Labradors for tail docking. They both have problems with those those appendages. That's true. And there are long-tailed dogs like Labradors and actually... Um, a lot of dogs like Whippets, they have very fine skin, um, very prominent bones in their tails, so their tails get injured relatively easy. So there, there are tailed dogs that end up having therapeutic tail dockings at some point in their life because their tail's been, you know, injured or constantly gets injured or it's been crushed or it's been stepped on by somebody and broken and, you know, run over by a car or like I said, they just keep banging it, you know, hunting dogs that stay out in a run all day and they get 
you know, so excited anytime they see anybody. They're banging their tails like crazy, and their tails constantly bleeding all over the place. Um, Cocker Spaniels end up getting ear surgery frequently. Now, we can't make their ears stand up because the conformation of their ear flap just would never allow that, even if it was done as a puppy. But a lot of Cocker Spaniels end up having surgical alterations to their ear canals, or in many cases, their entire ear canal gets completely removed so that they have no ear canal anymore. And that's because they've been subjected to such chronic long-standing infections that they're in constant discomfort and they can't hear anymore anyway because there's been so much damage to the tissue lining their ear and the structures associated with it um, that the dogs just can't hear anymore. So they're already deaf. I'm going to cut you off for just a moment because it is time for a break and we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Laura Haug after messages from these sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Fluff your feathers, roll out your tongue, shine your fins, snap on your leashes, and grab your human. It's the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo. Two full days of pet-tastic fun that no pet lover should miss. Join us for shopping, the Barks and Couture Fashion Show, Dream Pet Wedding, Ultimate Pet Makeover, Pet Communicator, Rescue Me Pet Adoption, Service Dog Demonstration, and tons of fun contests. Bring your pets and join us at the Louisville Pet Lovers Expo, Saturday, September 27th, and Sunday, September 28th, at the Kentucky Expo Center. For more information, go to louisvillepetexpo.com. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around. Every week on Pet Life Radio. Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time. Every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back. And again, speaking with Dr. Laura Haug. She is a board certified by the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, certified by the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, a member of the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior, and a member of the Association of Pet Dog Trainers. You can find her online at www.texasvetbehavior.com. And I wanted to touch base again with you, Doctor, on why do other countries seem to think it's unethical or they've even passed laws uh, about cropping and docking ears or tails? Um, is, is this just a totally different perspective uh, in other countries? Who's right? Is there some middle ground here? You know, I don't think it's necessarily appropriate to say somebody's right or wrong about it. You know, different countries and different cultures certainly have completely um, different perspectives about 
the role that animals play in society and the role they play in, you know, a family social unit, um, what people consider humane, what they consider to be a positive aspect of welfare, and what they consider to be detrimental aspects to the animal's welfare. So, you know, I can't really speak for the European community. I don't live there, and I'm not sort of immersed in that kind of culture, but um, they do have a different perspective from what knowledge I do have of dog ownership in many cases. I mean, we look at countries like um, Germany, um, Austria, and some of the, even Belgium, some of those countries where they have very strong working programs, um, and they have very strong and strict breeding programs for dogs as well, in that, you know, in America, anybody that wants to breed their dog can breed their dog, whether they should or not. Um, and that's not necessarily the case in some of the European countries. So there's a little stricter control of some aspects of dog ownership. And so I think some of that, of course, bleeds out into factors of, you know, looking out for the dog as opposed to maybe maybe over there their dogs are less a status symbol um, as they are in some respects over here. You mentioned earlier that you've seen mixed-breed dogs that have had their tails docked. I've seen right. that also. And most of those dogs, mixed-breed dogs that have had their tail docked, are, are mixes of breeds where the purebreds would have their tail docked. So you have a Rottweiler mix, and somebody wants it to look more like a Rottweiler, so they cut its tail off. Or it's a boxer mix, and so they think because it's a boxer mix, it should have its cut its tail off because boxers, you know, get their tails docked. Um, so those are, again, all personal ethical questions. Um, you know, my own perspective, I'll admit I'm kind of, although my opinion changes over time and it will continue to evolve, um, I sit on the fence about the ear-cropping issue um, I have a certain prejudice. I've grown up with Dobermans for so many years, and the look of a Doberman is very different when their ears are cropped versus when their ears are not. And I will have to say that I'm secretly glad that when I buy a puppy, the decision's already been made for me because I don't want to have to make the decision on my own right now <laughs> as to whether I would do that. But if somebody came to me as a veterinarian, like years ago when I was cropping, um, and they brought me a mixed-breed dog and said, I want my dog's ears cropped, I probably would have refused to do it unless there was some medically valid reason for cropping that dog's ears. Um, maybe that's hypocritical to say, well, you would crop a Doberman puppy or a Boxer puppy, but not, you know, a Doberman mix puppy. Um, I certainly could see how that perspective is valid, that that's kind of a hypocritical stance. But as I said, you know, people's opinions are going to change over time, and I think that's good. I think this is an issue that we need to reevaluate and examine, but I think as much we need to examine it from an objective scientific perspective as well so that it's not in a decision based completely on emotion. Um, right. When we talked, you know, through years when people talked about banning cropping in America, um, there are very, very few veterinarians now, actually, that will do ear crops on dogs. And um, I will say that back in the 70s and 80s and 
even in the 90s, there were many, many times as a veterinarian um, that I saw people bring in dogs where they cropped their own dog's ears on the kitchen table with a pair of scissors because they couldn't find a veterinarian that would do it. So what's better for that dog? If that owner has decided their dog's ears are going to get cropped, is it better for it to be done by a professional that can do it properly or to refuse and end up having somebody do it on their kitchen table with a pair of dull scissors? Right. Um, right. So it's not a it's not a black and white answer, especially at this point in time. Well, describe for listeners the medical procedure. I know when I worked as a veterinary technician again many years ago, so I I was able to assist and and see how the ears were taped and all of that. The tail docking that were done at the same time as dew claws. You know, just a few days after birth. And as you mentioned earlier, the um, the whole issue of pain management has evolved over the years. So describe what is the medical procedure today so listeners maybe have a better idea of, of making those decisions about their new puppy. Well, the, the medical approach for uh, in puppies, docking tails and taking off dew claws, is unfortunately pretty much the same as it was 30 years ago, which is you get a litter that are usually two to three days old, and they um, have their tails docked and their dew claws removed without any pain intervention, no anesthesia. You basically hold the puppy and you cut them off and then you apply, you know, some stitches to close off the tiny little wound that you made. And it's a relatively easy procedure from a surgical perspective because the dog's bones are very soft, um, because they're still very young, and they do recover quickly. But I do have to say that I almost find the docking um, and dew claw removal aspect of this more objectionable because of the fact that it's done without any consideration to the animal's um, pain alleviation in that at least with an ear cropping, I mean, ear cropping's done on a puppy that's usually 7 to 12 weeks of age. It is a surgical procedure, and it should be treated as such, in that the puppy comes in, the puppy's given pain medication, um, the puppy is put under anesthesia completely, so they're asleep when this happens. They are, you know, scrubbed. There's an antiseptic applied so that the area is as sterile as it can be. The surgery is done. The ears are stitched up. Usually, um, they're put into some kind of rack, although some veterinarians don't do that right away, and that's perfectly fine. And then the puppy is kept on some level of pain medication for, you know, a week or so afterwards, maybe put on antibiotics as well to prevent infection. And while the pain medication isn't going to eliminate all of the puppy's discomfort, it can, you know, put a significant dent in it if the veterinarian is aggressive enough about maintaining that puppy's comfort level. But when we look at tail docking and dew claw removals on day-old or, like I said, two- or three-day-old puppies, they get nothing, absolutely nothing. And there is um, evidence coming out of human medicine and even some of the rodent studies because, of course, a lot of research is done on rodents where early painful experiences like to 
premature infants or even term infants in the neonatal period getting vaccinations, circumcisions, different things like that, that can alter an infant's pain response system. And there's some indication that it may alter it, make them more sensitive to pain long term. So are we doing this to some of these puppies? Is this same thing possibly happening in puppies where we take puppies and their tails are docked and their dew claws are taken off? um, And are we altering their pain response system long term, like forever? Is that going to impact their behavior and the way they react down the road? Certainly. Certainly. If their pain response system is altered and they are more sensitive to pain, then their react the reason we know they're more sensitive is because their behavior related to pain changes. You know, the only way we know an animal's in pain is by looking at the animal's behavior. They cry or whine or they limp or they flinch when you touch them. Um, that's how we know they're painful. So the way you test them to see if they're more painful is you're looking at behavioral responses that are associated with pain. So if I have a dog that bites when it has some spinal discomfort, um, if that dog happens to be hypersensitive to pain, maybe it would have been less likely to bite when its spine, its back was touched if it didn't have its dew claws taken off without anal, you know, analgesia back when it was three days old. I don't know. Nobody's done that study in dogs. But that's why I say I think this is a topic that to some degree needs to be approached from a scientific perspective, not just an emotional one. I wanted to ask also, um, because this, I've, I've seen this in, in dogs as well that aren't used to uh, meeting dogs that do not have a full tail, that uh, does this potentially change the canine body language and how other dogs maybe react to them if they don't have a full tail to signal with? I'm sure it does, and there is a little bit of research to suggest that dogs of differing conformations um, do have some difficulty communicating with other dogs. And I think that's a significant challenge that our dogs pose because if you look at other species of canids like dingoes and wolves and cape hunting dogs, they're all built the same and they only have to sort of learn the language of that type of phenotype. Whereas our domestic dogs have to learn the basic blocks of social communication, but then they also basically essentially have to learn a zillion little dialects because how does a tailless dog communicate? How does a dog with drop ears communicate? And a dog that has cropped ears and a dog that has natural pricked ears and dogs that have short hair and can pilo erect, but then there are some dogs that have shaggy hair and they can't pilo erect. You know, they're like learning a hundred different languages. And also, I mean, to thinking about the um, uh, Rhodesian Ridgeback that is essentially always pilo-erect. Right. On top of that, how does this affect people who maybe aren't as clear on dogs' uh, tail-wagging behaviors as uh, they might be because the, the boxer isn't wagging the same way that they know their German Shepherd would wag? Yeah, I'm sure it impacts people, although from a devil's advocate perspective... Um, okay. 
people misread dog wagging so much that, you know, when a Rottweiler or a boxer is really wagging like a happy wag, you can't tell that just from their tail um, because their tail's short. And you can only tell a dog like that's really, really wagging if their whole back end's doing it. Um, and that's a good thing. So it, in some respects, for some people, not having the tail may make it a more clear message to them because the dog's back end's either wagging or it's not. And if their back end's not wagging, they won't even know whether the dog's wagging at all. So they won't say, oh, look, he's wagging. That must mean he's friendly when he's really not. Right. So I think that could go, I think that with some people and some dogs could actually go either way. The other way. Well, I know on a, on a discussion list that we both were on, uh, I'm not sure if it was you or somebody else mentioned that there, uh, that drop ears are not necessarily a natural state of being for, for wild animals. That's true. That was me. And yeah, if you look at, um, look at wild species of really any type, I mean, you look at ungulates, so hook stock, um, you look at things like, um, wild canids, foxes, cats, bats. I mean, it really doesn't matter for the most part if they have uh, a pinna, so an ear flap of a sort and not just a hole. Or um, They're all of some variety of a prick ear. So the ear either comes straight out from the side of their head, like some of the zebu cattle, um, or the ears stick upright like a horse or a donkey, or, like I said, all the wild canids, all the wild cats, they all have prick ears. And I don't, that's obviously not a coincidence. That means there is an evolutionary advantage to that ear conformation. So we've essentially uh, chosen certain breeds of dogs to have the drop ears, or the, the, the floppy-type ears, for whatever reason, and now we're, we're dealing with it, basically. Yeah, some of those breeds, I'm sure the drop ears were purposely chosen, but I also suspect that a number of those ears, the drop ears, came along accidentally with some other quality that um, the breed developers were trying to get. You know, uh, you look at the studies that were done with the Russian foxes and where they started breeding these fur foxes just for docility, if you will, around humans. That was their only criteria. And as they bred several generations of those foxes, the foxes' coat color changed. So they started getting, you know, party-colored ones that had white in their coat, and the foxes' ears started to droop. So they weren't purposely looking for floppy ears, but that's what they ended up with in trying to develop a line of foxes that were easier to handle by humans. So I'm sure there are quite a number of dog breeds that, you know, in the process maybe of trying to generate a dog that was obsessive about retrieving, so we could get golden retrievers and Labradors that maybe in the process of doing that, um, the ears basically evolved to be floppy, but it wasn't a conscious choice by the breeder. Well, we are out of time, but you can find out more about Dr. Laura Haug at www.texasvetbehavior.com. And I would like very much to thank Dr. Haug and the producers for making this Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week 
for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way too. Woofs and wags until next time. And I hope today's show made you prick your ears and set your appendages wagging and most of all, made you think. Before you decide to crop and dock your puppy, do your homework. Make decisions that are right for you and for your best friend. Talk to your veterinarian get the answers you need. After all, you don't want them to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.